3: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
4: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky, Rhett, back with you as we uh, kick off a new week, and we have some changes that have taken place in the National Football League. Head coach Frank Reich of the Colts has been let go. Um, we are going to get to all the games, all the action, the upsets, the quarterback play, the Justin Fields show that he put on, all that stuff. We're going to have time. We're going to get there. But we have to start here with this breaking news. And uh, and Buck, I want to go to you on this one first and Rhett jump in on after that. But this was uh, this was a surprise to me. And we've seen changes here the last few weeks. You fire your offensive coordinator, you bench your quarterback, and now here it is after another disappointing loss. Frank Reich is out as the Indianapolis Colts head coach. What are your thoughts, Buck? Well,
5: you knew it was coming. You knew when you started to see those dominoes begin to fall that the head coach is next. And so you start with the quarterback, then the offensive coordinator. The head coach is next to go because the accountability falls on the head coach, particularly when he's the offensive play caller. And so Frank Reich staved it off as much as he could, but the offense just didn't perform under his direction. I don't know why they had an offensive line that on paper looks like it was one of the best in football. They have a running back in Jonathan Taylor who is one of the best running backs in football. And originally they had a quarterback, a veteran quarterback who was a former MVP in this league who has played well at times when given sufficient protection and a running game. But in 2022, it didn't come together. The offense never played to their so-called identity. And as a result, Frank Wright, Marcus Brady, Matt Ryan have all suffered consequences due to the lack of performance.
6: Yeah, I think this is a really unique situation. I think obviously uh, both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, you know, deserve a, a little empathy based on the unique situation that they were placed in, you know, when Andrew Luck abruptly retired due to the multitude of injuries that he suffered in his career. I mean, he was 10 and 6 as a starting quarterback with Frank Reich. They had, you know, they had a really good year. Um and then you kind of have now fallen into this ever-changing carousel of quarterbacks uh, since, since luck left. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily an excuse, right? But when they have had competent quarterback play, like go back to Phillip Rivers. I mean, that was an 11-5 and five year. It's a good year. Um, and again, that was a team that you felt like was strong enough and was building towards being like a Super Bowl contender if you had the quarterback that could sustain it. And so it felt like you kind of just kept trying to drop that quarterback in and in, in in doing that and in not finding that consistency, some of the things that were strengths about your team started to become weaknesses again. Like Bucky, like you said, the offensive line, it just isn't one of the best in football. And it was for a few years uh, there in that Ballard Reich tenure. And, you know, seven different starting quarterbacks is tough. Um, but th- that I think everybody wears a little piece of that. Uh, you know, did Chris Ballard do enough to get the best possible quarterback in there for Frank Reich to execute the offense that he wanted to execute? Did Frank Reich help develop a quarterback or get the most out of that quarterback? I don't know. I, I think everybody kind of wears a little bit here. And and Reich obviously is the offensive play caller. And, and with that as the biggest uh, alarm bells to their lack of success this season, I mean, I think it's clear uh, the, the, the result that Jim Irsay and, uh, you know, perhaps Chris Ballard kind of, came upon here today and that was to let Frank Wright go so I don't see it getting any better this year though do you DJ?
0: No I I don't and I look there's a there's a pretty important piece of information on the bottom of the screen if you're watching this right now it says Jeff Saturday will serve as the interim coach we're going to get there Um, that is a very unique situation so we're going to touch on that but there's a lot of different layers to this and I want to start first of all with the performance Um, talk you guys have talked about how the offense just couldn't get it going well let's put some numbers to it This is 14.7 points per game. That's dead last in the NFL. They've allowed 35 sacks dead last in the NFL. Like this wasn't something that was trending down or that was underwhelming or they were a little underperforming, uh, not meeting. They were the worst in the league uh, when you're talking about points, which is the most important stat there is offensively. So in my opinion, you know, Frank is put in a tough spot. You guys talked about different quarterbacks every year, but I also think there's roster flaws and I'll give you a couple thoughts here. Number one, this is the, in terms of cash, this is the highest paid offensive line in the NFL and it does not look like it. Uh, They are, they have been absolutely, you saw the the sack numbers. They've been terrible in pass protection. I know they've had some injuries, Um, but this is a team. If you look over the last four drafts, they haven't taken an offensive lineman in the first two rounds and Bucky uh, you and I have talked about this forever, about how that's something you got to keep reinvesting every single year. I don't care if you've got all the money in that position. You can't have enough depth. Um, so to be able to keep, you know, hey, every maybe it's every two years. You need to spend a first or second round pick on an offensive lineman. Just keep that well, uh, nice and primed there. They haven't done that. Um, there's, again, so many other layers to this thing. I'll, I'll get you I'll get you this question, Buck. Let me just ask you this. We talked about the premier positions, but let's go to the premier positions. Their quarterback, not a premier player. Obviously, they're down to Sam Ellinger. Their left tackle's Dennis Kelly right now. Not a good player, much less a premier player. You know, number one, we talk about, we've put the receiver, the number one wide out mm-hmm. in that class now as a premier position, having a weapon. I like Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman, but there's no one. There's no one in that mix. You flip over to the, to the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball. Quiddy Pay, you know, is a good young player. He's not an elite player. Co- the corners, Gilmore at this point in time in his career, Isaiah Rogers, they don't have any premier players at at the most important positions on the field. Your best players are running back. Like, that's just where this roster is right now, Buck.
5: Yeah, the roster is there. And you talk about the other players, DeForest Buckner and then Shaquille Leonard. Shaquille Leonard has not been available for most of the year. And then DeForest Buckner is a solid player. But let's just say he's the one premier player that you have outside of Jonathan Taylor. That's not enough. And sometimes, as a personnel executive, as a general manager, you can overvalue your own players. And when you look at this roster, you're right, it doesn't have elite talent. And so now, when you don't have great talent, You better have better tactics. And the Colts didn't have the tactical approach to make up for the lack of talent. As a result, they've underachieved. And you have a whole new crew of people that are going to take over and see if they can right the ship, not only this year, but going forward in the future.
6: And just real quick, because it did feel like, though, two, three years ago, those positions and this roster was trending towards one of the better ones in the NFL. Right. And then you have Philip Rivers who retires. You try to go get Carson Wentz, that doesn't work, right? And then Matt Ryan, and it's like, well, w- we thought we were trending towards this good team with these premier players. Maybe not at the, you know, maybe left tackle. I don't know. With, ever since Costanzo retired, you know, I think that's that's obviously been an issue still there too. But um, it just felt like you kind of wasted a couple of those years trying to figure out the quarterback position and some of those those players you thought were ascending um, into those premier type roles and those elite type roles. I haven't. And so then the quarterback issues exacerbated it, but it's not just about players, right? There's been a staff departure there too, DJ.
0: Yeah. I, I look, Nick Sirianni was a big loss. And I had heard a lot about his time there with the Colts, that he was instrumental in the game planning. Frank did a great job of calling plays. Nick did a nice job of game planning. You got to have both those roles served well in order to be a well-run offense. But, you know, I, I don't want to put it on that. I think the most important thing, and we can move on here and get to the Jeff Saturday aspect of this your quarterback's not good enough. It's hard to win in this league if your quarterback's not good enough. You have to be outstanding in every other area to be able to cover that up, especially in the trenches. When your quarterback's not good enough and you got an underachieving offensive line with no left tackle, this is kind of what you're left with. And they've been searching for that guy for a long time. It has not happened. Um, it, I'm curious, Buck, on the decision to go to Jeff Saturday, I know that's going to create a lot of headlines, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people upset about somebody that's kind of jumped to the front of the line, even as an interim coach here. But Jeff Saturday is going to be able to compare this version of the Colts versus a Super Bowl champion version of the Colts that he was a part of. And I got to believe once he gets really inside there and is in the team meetings and running things, he's going to see a totally different group than what he played with.
5: Yeah, you'll see a totally different group, but I'm, I'm going to give Jeff Saturday credit for this. Like, look, I know high school coaching experience is not coaching in the National Football League, but he's seen what it's supposed to look like at the highest levels. He played at a high level uh, for the Indianapolis Colts where they were able to dominate people with their offense. I believe that what he'll do, the first thing he'll do is try and fix the offensive line. I don't know what he can do to reshuffle the deck to get the pieces right, but he has to focus on the offensive line. I also would expect him to put Matt Ryan back in the starting lineup as with a veteran quarterback. Maybe you can get some of this stuff managed. He wasn't playing great, but I don't think the young quarterback that they put in is an upgrade. So what you want to do is look at the division because they're still not out of it when it comes to the division race. Can he kind of put some band-aids in place to give this team an opportunity to gain a little confidence, to win a couple of games? while the defense maybe gets better and carries them a little bit, I think he'll lean into what he knows as a Super Bowl champion and try to get this team back to playing a simple version of football that can be effective because it'd be about the execution, not the trickery that maybe we were seeing from the Colts in recent weeks.
6: Yeah. And look, I mean, I think people will point to the fact that you have two former head coaches in the NFL on the staff and Gus Bradley is the defensive coordinator. And then in John Fox is an analyst. And why, you know, why, why not give it, well, you know, to be fair and, and with all due respect, those guys have had their opportunities, you know, in the NFL. And they've also been a part of the of what's been the problem uh, here, although, you know, obviously uh, the defense has been a little bit better uh, than the offensive side of things. But they're a part of what this, you know, if you listen to some of the reaction coming out of the cold locker room, a very depressed sentiment there Um, And what was one of the worst performances of the Frank Reich era this past uh, week. And so, you know, you think, all right, maybe you bring in someone from the outside that can infuse a little bit of life, um, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of motivation into this team. And uh, just kind of give them a little bit of juice to, to kind of, you know, go out there, feel better about what they're doing, uh, and feel better about the prospects of, of what they have coming down the pipe here in the rest of the season. So um, I, I, it is unorthodox. We don't see it very often, but it, like we said, like, what, you know, it's not like replacing Frank Wright today is going to all of a sudden make the Colts a playoff team. So, you know, why not go out there, especially considering what's there on the staff? Why not go out there and try to find somebody, you know, who can rejuvenate this franchise a little bit?
0: Answer me this, you guys. Buck, is it Reggie? Is Reggie Wayne coaching whiteouts there right now? Uh, he is. I know he was yeah. doing stuff in the industry. absolutely. He's the whiteout coach, right? Yeah. So so you've yep. got you've got somebody in ownership in Jim Ursay that has won a championship and won it with a, with certain guys, and he's just gonna try and put all get all those guys back in the building Bring and see if in. he can recapture that magic. The the problem is the guy who was the guy who was pointing out mic calls and taking snaps from Jeff Saturday, I think had a lot to mm-hmm. do. Uh, with their successful run there. And until they find a trigger man, they they don't find a trigger man. It doesn't matter who the coach is.
6: Well, I'm just trying to see here. They've got a, uh, when's their next Monday night game? Because if we get the Manning cast on, we could probably get a headset for Peyton. He could at least call the plays. Um, You know, if if the Colts are playing on Monday night uh, for the rest of the way here, I'm trying to see. I can't tell
0: uh, if they've got another Monday night or left. They play the Chargers the day after Christmas. They they play the Chargers Monday night, the day after Christmas. I'll be there. Maybe (laughs) I can try and coordinate that a little bit so we can get that Um, anyways, we could, we could go on. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we want to get to. We could go on and on on about the Colts. I think Buck, we're going to have a chance to to revisit this conversation when we get back together tomorrow for the Mm -hmm. next episode. Uh, We're going to take a little break right now. We're going to come back because there is a lot of NFL action. We need to break down from a very eventful week of football. We'll do that right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better.
4: Even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
7: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair?
0: NFL Plus is the league's new exclusive video streaming subscription service. NFL Plus has your game day covered with live, local, and primetime regular season and postseason games right on your phone or tablet. NFL Plus is available on the NFL app and at NFL.com. Subscription plans start at just $4.99 a month. Fans can visit plus.nfl.com and sign up for a free trial of NFL Plus today. All right, let's get to the big three here. It was tough to kind of narrow this down. Some interesting games yesterday, but uh, we'll start off with the big upset. The Jets at home uh, able to knock off the Buffalo Bills and absolutely get after uh, Josh Allen in this one. We'll go around the horn here, guys. I'll I'll start us off with Zach Wilson's performance because, look, he took a lot of of fire last week for the three picks against the New England Patriots, Mm -hmm. and it was, oh, my gosh, he's regressed. He's not showing any signs. And I thought it was interesting when you saw both Robert Sala, the head coach, and Joe Douglas, the general manager, when they met with the media last week, talked about, look, if we don't turn the football over, we're going to be a tough team to beat. And that was a message I think they were able to get through to Zach Wilson. He did have one sack uh, fumble uh, with Vaughn Miller. But overall, guys, I thought the ball came out faster on time. I thought every single play that I saw from under center, the ball went where it was supposed to go. There was a couple that got away from him accuracy-wise. But I thought the decision-making was great. And as we're watching on the screen there, late in that game when they had to have a drive, a lot of the run game, yes. Uh, But a key conversion to Denzel Mims on that slant to keep things going. I thought overall, using his legs a little bit more. This is the formula that they can use, Buck. With Zach Wilson just playing like this, playing safe, with their defense doing what they're doing, this is a winning formula for the Jets.
5: Yeah, it's a winning formula, and you talked about the Jets, and I will say this, the New York sack exchange, they can bring that back because they're winning with a pass rush that is absolutely dominating, and it allows them to play big coverage on the back end. But that defense feasts off quarterbacks making mistakes, and I'm going to be honest, I believe Josh Allen has become a little bored with the process in Buffalo. This team was winning (laughs) so easily for most of the season that he kind of fell back into some of those bad habits, forcing the ball into traffic, making too many hero throws. If he just gets back to playing the way that he's played, I mean, for the better part of two years, this team will still be a heavyweight contender. But I think this game against the Jets was a wake-up call. Hey, don't get too far from your fundamentals and your focus, because if you do, you can backslide. And we saw him backslide a little bit, which is why the Jets were able to really capitalize on his mistakes.
6: Yeah, I think we were all kind of intrigued by the Bills game two we, uh, a week ago against the Packers, right? And how the Packers were content to run the football against the Bills. And they did it with great success uh, with Aaron Jones, mostly and a little bit of uh, A.J. Dillon there. and And then this week, and you're like, all right, well, look, I mean, the Bills had the game in hand and they were just, you know, they were trying not to get beat deep. And You know, they didn't want to give up anything. They were content to let them, you know, rip off six, seven, eight yard runs. And then you come in here in this game against the Jets and without Brees Hall, but with James Robinson and Michael Carter, they reel off three drives of 13 or more plays. And then, of course, you had the devastating 14 play 81 yard drive that took over six minutes off the clock. They end up getting the field goal uh, on that play to go ahead. Ten of the 12 actual plays there when you take out a penalty and a field goal were runs, including three explosive runs with two. On back-to-back runs from Robinson for 16, Carter for 17, who added another for 15 three plays later. That 15-yarder, and and, I think there were a couple of targets on that Bills defense. Jordan Phillips, A.J. Epinesa uh, got targeted there. Matt Milano was out, which obviously hurt him, but I thought Terrell Bernard actually played all right. Um, But going back to that 15-yarder from Michael Carter, I mean, it was like a symphony of perfectly executed blocks. And in honor... Of the NFL playing its first game in Germany in Munich this week, guys, can't you picture Baldy like in the film vault, like with the headband on, watching that play with Michael Carter, and it's like a perfect, it's like box concerto of 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 two violins, right? He's like, we got a down block here and a down block here, we got the kick out over here, and it's explosive, (laughs) you know, like it, it was just, it was beautiful to watch, and I don't even appreciate it. Uh, as much as uh, as much as everybody else does in the run game, but man, I mean, it's like, what can the Bills do to stop it? Like you know, it's coming. You know, the Jets uh, are going to run the football at you. I mean, they lining up a couple of tight ends, even had a couple extra linemen on some of those, and and so um, man, I, I I'd be curious to see how the Bills try to repair. Um, what's been a a leaky run defense here moving forward.
0: Yeah, I thought the play calling for the Jets, going back to them real quick, was outstanding too. I thought Michael Ford did a nice job mixing in quick game, mixing in the screens, to tight ends, to backs. I thought it did a nice job with that. And some of the things that we criticized Zach Wilson for previously, some of the carelessness, he made some unbelievable arm angle throws to navigate around some free rushers in this game, uh, which was impressive. But my last point on this one, and we'll move on, Uh, this game to me was about the depth of the Jets. This was a talent-depleted team not long ago. Now they're in a situation where, without Mackay Becton, without Elijah Vera Tucker, without George Fant, Max Mitchell, their rookie who had started games, those are four offensive linemen not playing in this game, and they were able to go out there and beat one of the best teams, if not the best team in football, in the Buffalo Bills. The depth of this roster, we know about the waves of defensive linemen they throw at you. I think they had ten of them uh, that were active in this game. So they have depth. They have built depth, and it has been uh, it's been a good thing to be able to overcome. All those injuries. Uh, let's move on to the next game here: Rams and Bucks. Not a high-scoring affair, Bucky, but uh, an interesting finish there. Tom Brady able to uh, to bring the Bucks back and, and knock off the Rams, sixteen
5: to thirteen. Yeah, no, it's something about Tom Brady, and I'm not saying he's playing his best football, but he still has a little magic left in the holster this guy continues to find a way to win games if you give him an opportunity at the end of the games this was a game that the 10 Big buccaneers had no business winning look they've been stymied the entire game they've been shut down uh in key moments they just had a drive that ended in the end zone with a red zone stop and yet you give tom brady back the ball with under a minute he perfectly executes a two-minute drive that he's been doing for years and years and years he can do it in his sleep and you give him an opportunity with a handful of seconds on the clock to make a play to ultimately win the game, and Tom Brady makes the play. And so it's just one of those things where we talk about winners win. Tom Brady's the ultimate winner, and if you give him an opportunity in a one-and-done scenario, he still can get you. The Rams found out the hard way by pressing their luck giving Tom Brady more chances at the end of the game than you ever want to give someone who has a history of knocking people off
6: in those moments. How he did it, Bucky, though, was kind of interesting uh, down the stretch. I mean, this was a game, and and look, both teams have been, you know, severely beat up on the offensive line, and they're really struggling up front, I think, on on both sides. We'll get to the Rams part of that here in just a little bit. But for the Bucs, you know, when Tom Brady did have time, again, it just, it felt like everything was was difficult, right? And they had a couple of, six drops in this game. Six! Six drops, two from the running backs. You had two from Mike Evans, uh, and, and after the fir- after the last Mike Evans drop, which came right around the five minute mark of the fourth quarter, Tom Brady started going to Scotty Miller and Kate Otten. Right, not the two guys that you would expect to 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 be the catalyst for a comeback uh, when you have you know Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones on the roster at wide receiver. But it was Miller Um, with under five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. He ended up with seven targets the rest of the way and five receptions. Now, he was guilty of one of the drops, too, and it was a big one because it would have been a touchdown. Uh, But Kate Otten, the rookie tight end, four targets, three catches. And he ends up, you know, his first NFL touchdown catch ends up being the game winner. He also had the big gainer on an explosive to kickstart that final drive with under a minute. So it was like some unlikely characters that Brady was going to proving like he'll do whatever it takes, right, to find a way to win a football game. And he was certainly doing that there with those two guys who combined for you know eleven targets and eight receptions in the final four and a half minutes of that ball game, um, which I think says something about just how out of sync and how you know like the lack of rhythm that you've seen with that Bucs passing game. Um, but then getting back uh, to the other side of this here and looking at the Rams, I mean the Rams had an opportunity to salt this game away, like in. in in previous years under Sean McVay, they'd have run the heck out of the football in those three downs. They'd have gotten a first down, and that game would have been over. Tom Brady never would have had the ball back. Um, but obviously, as I mentioned, they've had those offensive line issues with the injuries and the inconsistency. Rob Havenstein, I think we would always we would agree, DJ, is probably their best offensive lineman. Um, you know, he, gets, he gets beat a couple of times on those, those last three downs where they're trying to run the ball and run the clock out. And, and Vita Vea, uh, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, was, a, was a big part of that effort for the Bucks and getting them the ball back, too.
0: Yeah, and I'll just wrap it up on this game. Um, you know, look, Vita Vea. when you go back and watch the tape, was dominant, had a couple sacks, had a couple tackles for loss. I think he almost he almost is underappreciated in some ways. He's so dominant and he's so consistent. To be able to get on edges of guards at that size and win with quickness, we know we can walk you back. We've seen that a bunch throughout his career. He can get right in your pads and walk you right back to the quarterback. This game, to me, showed off some of his quickness and athleticism to be able to get on the edge and win and be very disruptive, play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. This is a Tampa defense. And we talk about Tom Brady and his ability to finish that game and make the key plays. And you know Buck talked about how he's got just enough in the tank. If you can stay in it, he can go win the game for you. Look, this defense only gave up 206 yards to the Rams. They gave up nine first downs. The only reason they had a chance in this game is because of how well and how dominant their defense have played uh, against the Rams. So Uh, To me, it was big-time impressive. Uh, Rhett, I I know we're going to move on here to another game, but I want to ask you one thing because it just popped into my mind. Going back to what we talked about earlier, Jeff Saturday has experience as a high school coach. He's an interim head coach for the Colts, and he went to North Carolina. I know another person who went to North Carolina who has high school coaching experience. I'm just saying he's played on both sides of the ball, maybe a coordinator position, maybe an offensive coordinator, maybe a defensive coordinator
6: position. it, It turns out that I think they need a play caller. Um, so like, I don't think they have a oh, play no. caller on the staff right now with Frank Reich gone. Maybe Matt Ryan takes the headset uh, in this game. So I, I mean, yeah, you've got just as good a chance as hey, any. I feel like Bucky. Hey, Red, I think uh, you stumbled upon like, something. Maybe Matt Ryan reemerges I, as the starting I'm, I'm, quarterback. We're gonna start and calls that campaign. Yeah, we're gonna start, we're gonna start <laughs> no, that no, campaign. No. But look, no, um,
1: <laughs> no, no. On no. the flip side no. of that,
6: no. <laughs> on the flip side of that, just to finish up on the Rams Bucks game, like you heard Sean McVay after the game, right? there's like a lack of answers and I think it's understandable like you you know you 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 look at the different ways that they try to create you know offensive production with the wide receivers and the tight ends and the run game and all kinds of different ways and um and it just it feels like they just haven't figured it out I mean like listen to the frustration in Jalen Ramsey's voice after this game the defense should not have went had to go back on the
4: field
6: have
5: some dogs who gonna go get it be like like we shouldn't come to the sideline after a big stop like that, and and our coaches or the other side or whoever telling us, man, y'all, we gonna need y'all one more time. We're gonna need y'all one more time. So, like what the f-? we just we made a big stop, turnover on downs with with a minute and some change left and, and no timeouts for for nobody. That some dogs is like man, f- all that we gonna we gonna end this game right now. Good stop. We gonna end this game for y'all, like. We got to play off each other in that, in that sense. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by we shouldn't even have to go back out there, but it is what it is. It ain't the first time that this has happened. This has happened, you know, multiple times this year, really.
6: I think there's a lot of different ways you can interpret that, but I mean, does anybody disagree with him? I mean, should your offense be able to, you know, to to go out there with under a minute to play and get a first down or under two minutes to play, get a first down in the game with no timeouts? Like, let's go. Um, and they just haven't been able to do it. So I think it's just kind of – it kind of paints a picture of where the Rams are right now, DJ.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Frustration uh, definitely exists. I, I'll tell you what, the, everybody's kind of killing them. Saying, oh, they've mortgaged all these draft picks and now it's coming to roost. Look, you get a Super Bowl, you ask any general manager, they'll say, you give me five, take six it. years of mediocrity and I get take one it. Super Bowl out of it, they'll all take it. They'll all sign up for that. So I, I don't want to hear all that uh, about the draft picks. They got what they accomplished or they got what they wanted there. Uh, all right, let's get to the Sunday nighter. Titans, Chiefs. Um, this was a game that was kind of ugly. It was a typical Titans game. They had it muddy uh, just the way they like it against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were physical, um, had a lead for the majority of the game. They just couldn't quite finish. They end up uh, dropping the game in overtime 20-17. to 17. Guys, a lot of angles here. I'll go Mahomes and his ability to run the football, and what a nightmare that is to deal with. Now, they, they turned the ball over. It wasn't their cleanest performance. It didn't score a bunch of points. But having been in the stadium and seen him do this so many times uh, since I've been calling Charger games, it is so deflating to get stops, to put them in long situations like this third and 17, and he rips off a 20-yard run, which led to one of their two touchdown drives. Like You account for everything. You play everything perfect, and then he uses his legs like this, and it just rips your heart out, Buck. It's, it's kind of the area of Mahomes, I don't know, gets discussed enough but it is a nightmare when he takes off and runs.
5: Yeah, it's funny, DJ, because Pat Mahomes isn't really considered or talked about as a dual-threat quarterback, but yet when you watch the highlights and you see him move around, he does have that potential and ability. I'm looking at the game last night, and I'm like, he has 63 rushing yards on eight attempts. He has 446 passing yards. They throw it 68 times, and he is the one-man gang, the one-man show that is able to... Make it happen. I think the bigger thing with this offense is he's certainly the hub of everything, but it's the ability to spread it out to a bunch of different playmakers. One of the reasons why I wasn't necessarily concerned about them losing Tyreek Hill is because as long as you got the gold jacket guy at quarterback in his prime, it gives you a chance to figure it out. And the Kansas City Chiefs are still trying to figure it out, whether it's Juju Smith Schuster or Travis Kelsey or any of the complementary pieces around. Those guys, they still are able to manufacture points. And because number 15 is so special, they find a way to get it done. This team, like it or not, they're always in the conversation because they have the best quarterback in football, and that is going to give them a chance to go back to another Super Bowl.
6: Yeah, I mean, how about the catches made by, you know, again, complimentary pieces, uh, MVS out on the sidelines, digs that one ball out of the ground uh, that Mahomes was a little bit off target on. And then Noah Gray, essentially uh, you know, downfield uh, with one of those explosive plays late in the game. I mean, there was, was definitely they, they have a, a plethora of contender or of, uh, of pieces that can uh, help make them a contender moving forward. All right. I want to get to the Titans part of this thing for a little bit because I think you got to give a ton of credit, uh, obviously, to Derrick Henry, but to the Titans defense, for the fact that they were absolutely leading this football game with just over two minutes to play. And they got out first downed in this game, 29 to nine. The Chiefs had 29 first downs. The Titans were in the single digits. They ended the game with five straight punts and a turnover on downs uh, in overtime and two total yards of offense over those six possessions. Um, look, I think it's a tough spot for a, a young quarterback and Malik Willis making just his second straight start five targets to the wide receiver core as a whole, zero receptions for the wide receivers. Now they did, uh, uh, you look at the third downs and they only converted one of them, the entire game, one, one for 11. Um, and a lot of them were third and long situations. And that's just something, you know, with a, with a guy like Malik, who they did play a lot in the preseason, but you know, at this time of the year playing against a defense like this in Kansas city um, and with the cast that he's got out there, it's not like, you know, that AJ Brown isn't out there anymore. Um, you just don't have a lot of answers on third down and third and long. They didn't get him an empty quite a bit. Maybe tried to clear up the picture. But I, I think there was just some understandable indecisiveness from Willis making just his second start. Uh, that first third down he got, it should have gone right away to Westbrook as the outside guy in a double slant. and It just didn't look clear enough to him to pull the trigger on it. Um, they had a big drop down field, though, as well on a well-placed deep ball. Uh, so it wasn't all bad. And then here's the thing. Like, his escapability is uncanny. Um, so the more reps he gets and the more understanding of what he's seeing, I, like, I don't think there is a ceiling. Um, if, he re- if things really start to click for Malik Willis, like man, that's going to be fun to watch with his arm and the way that he can get out of trouble if he needs to.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I- I'm excited to see what Malik Willis can do when given time for this offense to really be built around him in the future. I think yes. that day's coming. I'm um, excited to see what that looks like. All right, we're, uh, we're running along here. I know we got a million games to get to, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at Justin Fields' Uh, and maybe his breakout performance, big-time game from him. We'll talk about that right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it
1: Offer valid on select AK systems through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
0: mentioned it before we went to break there, guys. This is a big-time game for Justin Fields. I feel like I need to start there and acknowledge the fact they didn't win the football game. I give you guys a lot of bites at the apple. Talk about the Miami Dolphins. Talk about the good things they've done and the win that they had. But I thought, to me, the headline still was this was Justin Fields' day. He shatters the the record for rushing yards in a game by a quarterback. I I think he had, what, eight runs over 10 yards, uh, which is the most by anybody this year. He was dynamic. The run, the long run, the long touchdown run where he leaves his feet. Then you see his feet hit the ground and he hits the turbo button and just ran away from everybody on the field. This is it right here. Climb up in the pocket, leave your feet. And then next thing you know, pursuit angles just disappear and he's gonzo. Um, That was impressive. Obviously what he did with his legs is going to be record setting performance, but I was even more impressed what he was able to do throwing the football. Third down, touchdown pass, showing touch um they're starting to figure out how to build this thing around him the ball he didn't have the same velocity guys that uh that you see with Justin Herbert but some of the mechanical stuff its it starting to look like him he's kind of throwing out of that three-quarter arm slot um and really throwing the ball well at all three levels I thought it was a big time day there for Justin Fields Buck I know uh I know you're going to hit on Tua here, but I'd love to get your thoughts on Fields and what he did before you jump over to the Dolphins' side.
5: You know, man, I I really appreciate uh, the Bears unlocking and unleashing Justin Fields in the way that best fits his game. Uh, The last four games, since they've really gone to this approach, Justin Fields has had at least 80 rushing yards in three of those games. The Bears have rushed for at least 225 rushing yards in four straight games, joining only the 1976 Pittsburgh Steelers As a team to do that. So as they're leaning into this single wing like approach with Justin Field as the, I guess, the focal point of the offense, it has allowed the Bears to put up points. And so now we're seeing a Bears offense that when you look at the roster, looks very pedestrian. But now with him at quarterback running the football and doing some of these other things that we see on Fridays and Saturdays, we're seeing this team have a little more dynamic uh, dimension to them. So, I think the Bears have uncovered something. Yes, they lost five out of their last six, but I think they found a way to get their franchise quarterback to play at a high level. And when you get that part right, it gives the rest of the team an opportunity to get right. So, I'm excited about what we've seen from the Bears.
6: Yeah. And look, I'm going to look at the AFC East here for a minute, guys, who have three six win teams uh, right now at the top of the division. And uh, the fourth team in that division is sitting there at five and four, and it's the New England Patriots. And I don't think anybody, are counting them out of that race uh, here at this point, but the, certainly with the way that their defense uh, has been playing and they get a win this week as well. Uh, but looking at what Miami and New York uh, and the Jets have done in particular, they've won in the division. Whereas the Bills, who are sitting here uh, at six and two right now, are 0 two in the division with both of those losses, of course, coming to the Dolphins uh, and then to the Jets this past week. And so it paints a picture of the Jets and the Dolphins like building themselves a little bit of a cushion here. Uh, obviously, you got to be able to keep pace. But if you come down to it, week seventeen, week eighteen, week eighteen, when everybody's playing division games, uh, you're going to have yourself a pretty good tiebreaker if things are close uh, down the stretch with the way that you've established a winning record in the division here early on. Now, there's still a lot to play in that division, and I'm certainly not counting uh, the Bills out of it. But I, I just think like the Bill, the 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 Dolphins and the Jets have put themselves in great positions uh, here as we embark on the second part of the season. Just for the Dolphins. Like, they've got a date against the Browns at home, then a bye week, and then the Texans coming out of the bye. Like, they're sitting pretty right
5: now. Yeah, no, I think what we're seeing in the league... I think we've seen a bunch of teams really offer up a masterclass on how to build around a young quarterback. The Miami Dolphins should be included in that group. Mike McDaniel's done a really good job with Tua Tungvaloa, not only building him up throughout the offseason in terms of speaking those sweet nothings into his ear, letting him know that he still is a remarkable quarterback. But then what you're seeing from this offense quick rhythm passing game, RPOs, surrounding him with explosive weapons out wide. And Tua has played the game like we saw Tua play the game at Alabama, a distributor a guy who gets the ball out to the weapons allow the weapons to go to work and so you may not like to in terms of his individual talents and say that he's not a top five or a top 10 guy but when you look at the numbers and the production of this offense under his direction it's hard to deny him entrance into that top 10 category the guy is killing it and he's doing it at an efficient level which is why this offense is a nightmare to defend when he's the point man
0: no doubt. Another uh, quarterback and team that are killing it right now. When you look at the Minnesota Vikings, what they're doing with Kirk Cousins uh, has been impressive, Buck. And as much as we give Cousins credit for the way that he's playing, I think you got to go right back to the head coach there and Kevin O'Connell and job he's doing.
5: Uh, look, man, here's the funny thing. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, the same Kevin O'Connell who was on the Nike football fields with me during Elite 11 back in 2012, 2013, is now emerging as one of the best head coaches in the National Football League. To me, it's remarkable. But the thing that is remarkable about the job that O'Connell has done, he's unlocked the talents and the potential of their best players. Justin Jefferson gets the ball because he's the number one receiver. He gets it in the sweet spot. Adam Thielen is the complimentary receiver. He still gets it in his sweet spot. They never neglect the running game because Dalvin Cook is always a part of the plan. And then the quarterback, Kirk Cousins. By numbers, it doesn't look like he's playing at, what let's say, A-level, but when they need him to make plays, he makes plays. And part of that is because Kevin O'Connell believes in him. He builds him up rather than tears him down. And this team has responded to his style. Look, he's a much better coach than I think anybody could imagine in his first year. And the Minnesota Vikings are not only running away from the NFC North, but they're positioning themselves to make a legitimate run at the Super Bowl. I don't know if even the most optimistic Vikings fan could have predicted that for this team prior to the season.
6: Remember when everybody gave Nick Sirianni a bunch of a bunch of trouble for uh, or a bunch of criticism for the Mm -hmm. the way he uh, described how he was going to attack uh, with with offense in in his scheme uh, in that introductory press conference? It's going to be easy for us to learn. Going to be difficult for the defenses to decipher. I mean, like you got to feel like that's how Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings feel for for TJ Hawkinson just days into his tenure with the Minnesota Vikings to play 59 to 65 snaps. Uh, At tight end. It's pretty dang impressive. And then how about this for efficiency? And nine targets caught nine balls for 70 yards. And how about this trust? First, third down of the game. Kirk Cousins passes up an easy, quick completion to Adam Thielen. It would have been a first down. It was like third and six. But instead, chooses to push it down the field to Hawkinson on a deep dig in the second level uh, there in the middle of the field. And that was a huge chunk play. And it kind of was like, all right. I'm going to get TJ the ball and I'm going to keep feeding him the football because he's going to be a weapon for us in the pass game. And he is down the seams in the middle, second level at intermediate passing game. He was just phenomenal for the Vikings in this game. Um, You know, I just I remember he was one of my favorite players, right? Coming out of the draft, coming out of Iowa. Hasn't been as dominant in the run game um, as I thought he was going to be based on what we saw in his tape at, at Iowa. But man, he gives the Vikings a real weapon. Uh, in the middle of the field and uh, an explosive player at the tight end position, which we just, I mean, we haven't seen in years uh, there in Minnesota.
0: No doubt. Uh, nice uh, nice move there. Aggressive trade inside the division so far paying off for him. Yeah. I'll just tag it real quick with the Neil Hunter guys. I feel like he's another one of those players who's been hurt. He's missed time over the last couple of years. But when he's out on the field, he's a true difference maker. Uh, and when you watch the the pass rush uh, video in this game, look, he has, he has wins. He does it in different ways. He's kind of slippery on the edge. We know what he does. He gets to the top of his rush. He's got some funky like jump-rip move that he's using right now where he's literally leaving his feet, and somehow he's able to get skinny and get around the edge with a little rip move. It is unique. It's not even kind of that Eurostep move that you see guys use. He's literally jumping up in the air. He's up in the air a couple of feet. It is, uh, it is bizarre. It is unique, uh, but it is working. So hat tip there to Daniil Hunter who's playing at a high level, uh, getting after the quarterback in that game. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, guys. We're going to touch on the games Bucky and I were at yesterday live. We're also going to hit on some of the other games we haven't hit on yet. A little rapid-fire action right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... All right, let's jump into some of these other games here that we haven't touched on yet, and let's start with the games that we were at, Buck. Uh, first, you're up here, Raiders, Jags. This was a big win uh, for the team you call games for, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They knock off the Raiders 27-20. to 20. What was your takeaway?
5: Yeah, no, a big win for the Jacksonville Jaguars, coming back from 17 down to win the game. Uh, you saw Travis Etienne take another big step as he kind of makes his mark as a top running back in this league, and then Trevor Lawrence was able to play off of him. I think the big takeaway coming out of this game, though, is the falling apart of the Las Vegas Raiders in key moments. This is a team that jumped out to a 17-0 lead, largely due to the fact that Devontae Adams was unguardable for most of the first half. No one could stop. He had over 100 yards at the break, uh, was doing whatever he wanted to do. In the second half, the Raiders got away from that. They tried to drain the clock a little bit, went back to Josh Jacobs, and they just couldn't find that connection with Devontae Adams. He expressed his frustration after the game about the game plan. And so now I'm looking at this Raiders team. Sit at 2-6 and six after going to a playoffs uh, a season ago. How do they get back on track? How does Josh McDaniels continue to sell the message to the team that the things that we're doing under me, they're going to work when this team had a lot of success last year? I think the head coach is in a very, very difficult situation. He has to convince this team that he has the answers And the team is looking like, well, I don't know, because we're losing this year. We were winning
0: last year. How does that come together? It's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I went back and just watched the second half. I want to watch second half Raiders offense to see what the issue is. Let me give you some of the third downs here. Third and 11, third and nine, third and 10, third and seven, third and 10. They were trying to run the football, like you said, Buck. It's almost like they were trying to put the game away on the ground, but they kept putting themselves in awful third down situations. And like a lot of teams we've talked about today, Rhett, their offensive line ain't good enough to hold up. There were a lot of five-man rushes where they've got numbers. They should match up with the math, but the Jags were repeatedly getting clean run-throughs. The communication was not good up front, and that impacted Derek Carr and his ability to convert these third downs. They were third and forever the whole second half. That just did them in, right?
6: Yeah, and I went back and watched all the passes, too, uh, the entire game. And look, I have zero issue with Devontae Adams getting targeted 17 times. Let's be clear uh, about that. And and clearly, in that first half, uh, he was very deserving of those targets and made the most of them. Hunter Renfro needs more than four. He needs more than four targets. And I will say that to Derek Carr's credit um, and and to Hunter Renfro, he was open on a couple of them. But again, a lot of them that they were open goes back to your point, DJ. I mean, Derek Carr's getting flushed out of the pocket, or he's getting sacked, or he's just got to get rid of the ball faster than uh, than was required to find Hunter Renfro in some of those routes. But um, I just, you know, I feel like he's one of those guys and has one of those skill sets that when your offense is struggling and when the run game is putting you behind the sticks, that he's one of those guys that can get you back on schedule with those types of routes that he can run in the middle of the field. Uh, however, the Jaguars' bucket, and I'm sure you kind of noticed this too. Like They run a lot of cover one, right? They'll run a lot of man coverage throughout the course of the season. One or three. They ran like four snaps of cover one in this game. Now, obviously, you don't want to get Devontae Adams one-on-one too much because he's going to win the majority of those matchups. But that also doesn't benefit uh, Hunter Renfro, who can beat you and create separation in man coverage on those slot corners or on those linebackers that have to scoot out against him. And so he's trying to find his way in through some of those zones. And while that may take a couple of extra uh, beats, then the pass rush is getting to, to Derek Carr, and so I feel like it all gets tied together, uh, both from you know strategy that the Jaguars had, their ability to execute in the pass rush, and then just you know a lack of trying to find a way to get the ball to a player like Renfro, um, who for the last couple of years has generated a quarterback rating of over a hundred for Derek Carr when he is targeted. Right now, it's like sixty Derek Carr's quarterback rating when targeting Hunter Renfro. So, um, you know. No problem with Devontae Adams getting the ball, but got to spread it around just a little bit more.
5: Yeah, no, it's funny. Good observation, Red, because the Jaguars did make a change. They went to more of a zone-based scheme. Uh, they were tired of seeing the ball fly over the head. They played more matchup zone, keep the ball in front, rally and tackle, see if they could slow teams down in the red zone and make them kick field goals. And so what you saw was a very astute observation. They were willing to concede all the underneath stuff, but I felt like Derek Carr got a little greedy
0: locked in on 17, and didn't fully stretch the zone by utilizing some of the other weapons that the Raiders had available. All right, guys, let's keep it moving here. I'll go to the game I was at, Chargers at Falcons. They win on a uh, last-second field goal there the Chargers do with their third kicker that they've had uh, this year. Dicker, the kicker, uh, nails it. His second game winner, and a unique story there with him. Uh, one game with the Eagles kicks a game winner. One game with You're the Chargers produced, kicks right? a game yeah. winner. Uh, but my takeaway on – yeah, not not bad. Uh, my takeaway on this one, Rhett, was Herbert's aggressiveness – uh, I thought the bye week, again, another week removed from that rib cartilage injury. I thought you saw him move around a little bit more. But more than anything else, I thought you saw him push the ball vertically. Not all of them were connected. Um, you don't have Mike Williams. You don't have Keenan Allen. There's going to be some issues there. But I thought just stretching the field, this seam ball to Palmer was a big-time throw. I thought you saw that aggressive gene that maybe had been missing a little bit the last few weeks. I thought it came back. And I think that's a great sign for the Chargers and their offense, right?
6: Yeah, I agree with you. And that interception uh, for, for Herbert, I mean, bounced right off the hands of Josh Palmer, right? I mean, so like, it, was a, it was a pretty clean game, uh, you know, for Justin Herbert in that respect. And uh, though for the Falcons, I mean, they were in this thing, right? I mean, big defensive lineman doesn't fumble that football out of nowhere. And like, maybe it's the Falcons going in to kick a game winner. um, just with the kind of the crazy way that that thing turned around at the end with the Chargers getting it back and then getting back in a field goal range themselves. But here's the thing I'll say about Atlanta is, the way they run the football and the way that Arthur Smith is committed to it, it keeps them in football games like they are competitive. Now, if they get down early, then it's a bit of an issue. Right. And you don't you don't see that ability to come back uh, uh, as as uh, as much as, as they would like. But man, that run game with Cordero Patterson uh, and Algier, that that's going to be a force uh, here moving forward. And as long as they can stay ahead of the chains and not get too far behind. Um, they're going to be competitive in football games and they're going to be dangerous down the stretch, especially if you find themselves getting, if you find the Falcons getting a lead late, uh, they're one of those teams that, unlike what we saw in that Rams-Bucks game, they are not going to give you the ball back.
5: Yeah, no, they're not going to give it back. And, you know, they're a tough team. And I think what we're seeing are more teams leaning to the running game, the two-back running game in particular, because it is an advantage against the smaller defenses. And so that brings me to uh, the Chargers and what I worry about the Chargers going forward. We can talk about the talent that they have, but I worry about this team having to take on physical teams that want to play rock'em, sock'em, robot football, meaning they want to line up, put the ball down, have a 9-on-7 drill for 60 minutes, and see who's the tougher team. The Chargers have the talent. I worry about the toughness, and I worry about that toughness being pressed upon when you have to deal with the running game. Are they tough enough to defend some of the hard-hitting runs that some of these old-school power-based teams will throw at them? Because that's going to be the question that they have to answer if this team is going to be not only a playoff team, but a team that makes a serious run to be a title contender in the AFC.
0: Yeah, one thing about that, and they gave up a ton of yards, but I thought that Brandon Staley did make an adjustment in this game. Normally he plays with three three bigs, right? Three down linemen, two outside linebackers, which without Bosa has been Vanoy and Khalil Mack. In this game, they ended up switching to four bigs. So you really got four defensive tackles with their hands down. You've got Khalil Mack standing up. So there's your five-man front. And then Derwin James was kind of as that big nickel who can add into the numbers there. So they kind of changed that front. They got bigger bodies in there. You've got a bigger nickel. You have got you swap out a, an edge player for another defensive tackle. I thought they did a better job of building a little bit of a wall there. So that was an adjustment. We'll see if they make that uh, going forward. They play the 49ers on Sunday night this next week. Uh, another challenge there for them against the run. We'll see what they can do. Uh, let's go Seahawks-Cardinals. Uh, Rhett, what would you see in this one? Uh, just rookies,
6: again, making plays all over the place for the Seahawks. I mean, if you've seen this, this smile on John Schneider's face after the game, I mean, you'd understand why. I mean, with the the additions that they made in the offseason, both in the draft and through free agency, I feel like we're a broken record uh, every week. But again, you just see these guys flash. Woolen, Bryant, not to mention you're starting two rookie tackles. You get two rookie tackles in the first three rounds of the draft, and they are starting and playing every snap. And then you've got the rookie of the year carrying the rock for you and Kenneth Walker. It's just so impressive. And and it just, it feels like this is why Russell Wilson is no longer there. He got caught up in too much of the let Russ cook and let's get back to the blueprint that made us consistently Super Bowl contenders, you know, back in the earlier part of the 2010s, right? And it was great defense and it was run game and it was a physical mindset. And you just see that now with the Seahawks and it's just so clear, right? And uh, you mean, you go back and then there's like that, it's not just the physicality, it's the tough mindedness too in the mental game. You had the pick six that Geno Smith threw. It was a great play by Zayvon Collins to the Cardinals. And then they come back and they score touchdowns on their next three possessions. Like you just, you flush that thing. And again, the, the doubters starting to write Geno off after the pick six, you know, the whole story, as he said in week one, he didn't write back and he just kept putting his head down and kept playing, and playing and playing, handed it off to K9. And this team, man, they just they have solutions and they have a great core that they're developing.
0: Um, No doubt. It's uh, it's been fun to watch John Schneider's rookie class just continue to make plays each and every week. Buck, yesterday was uh, was a Bengals win. They got after the Panthers. And man, it was a Joe Mixon. I think we've all been wondering where the heck this guy's been. Well, he showed up in a big way in this one.
5: Yeah, He showed up in a big way. And I think the Bengals had to go to Joe Mixon because without Jamar Chase, the offense needed to get back to the identity. And if they're smart, I think they continue to use this as the focal point of their offense because it makes everything easier for everybody else. Joe Mixon had over 200 scrimmage yards, had five total touchdowns, kind of reminded us why he was so special as a playmaker. And so as the Bengals lean into Joe Mixon kind of being the straw that stirs the drink. I think when Jamar Chase comes back, it could open up the field for him because if you have to defend the running game more and you can't commit the double teams to either Chase or Boyd or Higgins, now Joe Burrow is able to have fun throwing the ball over the top of the defense because the defense is now worried about Joe Mixon making hay on the ground.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's good to see young players like you mentioned, Rhett, with Seattle doing their thing. And it's, it's also good to see... Joe Mixon, those type of players remind us of who they are and what they're capable of, which we saw in that game. I want to finish it up here, the last game, and talk about some other young players, and that's the Detroit Lions. Good day for their rookies. Aiden Hutchinson had a pick, uh, which was nice to see. Malcolm Rodriguez has continued to kind of be a a tackle collector there as a linebacker. But this was the Kirby Joseph game, Uh, getting his hands on a couple footballs. He was a third-round pick uh, out of Illinois, who was somebody, when I go back through, guys, and look at my notes on Kirby – Senior Bowl, five interceptions last year. Big-time range from the middle of the field. He's got anticipation. He flashes some big hits. He had a hamstring, so didn't run a 40. Thought that might have impacted his draft a little bit, his draft status a little bit. There's times where he gets crushed in the run game. But big-time range, big-time ball skills, and it was on display against the Green Bay Packers. So a good win for the Detroit Lions. A great day for a trio of their young rookies. So good to see for them. Dan Campbell said he needed to relax after this one. He was exhausted. Um, but I'm sure he had an enjoyable evening, looking back on that performance by all of his young guys. Uh, guys, we, had, we covered a ton of ground. Man. We had the uh, breaking news there at the top of the show. The Colts have made a coaching change. We have not confirmed yet whether Bucky's going to be a part of this new staff uh, with his former Tar. Heel, uh, Jeff know. Saturday now is the head coach. But stay tuned. Maybe on tomorrow's episode we uh, we break down what Bucky's role is going to be. Maybe, maybe Natron Means is going to coach the running backs. I don't know. Maybe this is a North Carolina reunion there. Julius Peppers, what's he up to? Um, anyways, that's going to do it for us today. I encourage you guys to check out all of our content, NFL's YouTube channel, NFL.com, uh, and the NFL app. You can find all of our stuff there. We appreciate you listening and Move the stick.